Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Go Forth program. I am your host, Ben O. Young, and I'm happy to have with us today, all the way from Pennsylvania, Sister Catherine Kerwin Avila, with the handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Hello, Sister Catherine. Hello, Ben. Thank you so much for having me on. This is exciting. This is exciting, and I want everyone to know that I met Sister Catherine just outside of Mass. She was visiting. <laughs> it's true. So the Lord works in mysterious ways. Sister, could you please open us up in a word of prayer? Yes, I would love to open up with prayer. Uh, one of my favorites is the prayer to the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Sister Catherine. Could you please share the mission of the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus? So, yes, I'd be happy to share on our mission. We're a congregation that's spread over 24 countries, and in each of those places, we, we have this one common mission that, in a word, is, is reparation. And we understand reparation as partnering with God in, in God's work of healing. We understand that as being rooted for us in the Eucharist. So we understand ourselves as Eucharistic women who seek to be radically available to God so that we can be attentive to where God's inviting us to partner in that work. And that looks like healing, healing wounds oftentimes, right? Whether those are wounded relationships among people, wounded relationships of people with God, even wounded relationships of someone with themselves. And we also pursue that, that goal of reparation through education and the service of the gospel. So sometimes that's in formal school settings. Sometimes it's in other more creative settings of, of education. So we have a tutoring center here in Georgia. In different parts of the world, we have university residences where the sisters engage a lot with the young women who come and live there. We have alternative school setups uh, where people who have not had the chance to, to pursue a traditional path of education are able to come and um, form themselves. So that takes a lot of different forms, but education in the service of the gospel and then spiritual accompaniment. So walking with people on their journey of faith and, and helping them, we hope, to, to grow closer with God and, and to learn the sound of God's voice with them. So I love that phrase, uh, walking with God and mm. spending just time with him, but helping people to spend time with him. Mm -hmm. that's, that's your ultimate goal, as well as to heal wounds, wounds that may be from personal matters or past history, but bottom line, healing wounds so that others may draw closer to the Lord. That's it. Yes. Yeah. We believe that that is what Jesus went about doing. And so we want to partner with him in that work. And you shared with me earlier that you have four locations in the U.S., 24 countries, yes. but four locations in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the purpose of each location? Sure, I'd be happy to. So we have two communities in Pennsylvania. Where I am right now is in Haverford, Pennsylvania. We have a, a retreat house called the St. Rafaela Center, and it's a 
place, its motto is a time and a place for God. So it's a place where we welcome individuals and groups of people from high school students or little kids up through retirees and older sisters to, to, to have an encounter with God. Many different types of retreats happen here. Our foundation is Ignatian spirituality. And so a lot of the retreats are connected to the spiritual exercises, but, but groups come in and sometimes facilitate their own retreats as well. And then up the road, just north of Philadelphia in Wincote, we have a school which serves children between the ages of pre-K and eighth grade. And it's a wonderful, very robust school with a deep sense of community and a deep sense of faith. So those are our two Pennsylvania locations. And then in St. Louis, we have a house of formation, which is primarily the sisters who are studying philosophy and theology as part of their, their formation. And they're at St. Louis University. So that is our, our formation house where the, the sisters that we call the juniors are, are studying. And then finally, we have a, a community in Athens, Georgia, which is a, a small town with a big university. <laughs> the University of Georgia is right there. And we work primarily with kind of a dual ministry with immigrants in our neighborhood. Uh, we have an after-school program and a lot of different services for the families that live around us. And then we also minister at the University of Georgia's Catholic Center, where we do work with the sacraments and work with, with students. So it's, it's kind of a variety. <laughs> Yeah, it sure is, but it sounds exciting because either way, you have multiple levels that you're working with. You're working with the very young, you're working with the college students, you're working with whoever will come to the retreat center, whoever's that's looking it. for the Lord, that's, that's who you're it. trying to help out. That's awesome. How did you join Religious Life? What was your journey? Sure. I always say that my story is sort of evidence for me that God is patient and persistent. <laughs> I think for a long time was kind of terrified of the idea of religious life. But as I have journeyed, it's been this growth and deepening of, of trust and, and realizing what God offers is very, very good. But I, I laugh, I say it kind of began for me maybe in, in sixth grade. I was going to Catholic school and there was a vocation night, which my mom thought was a career night. And so we went and she thought they were going to be doctors and lawyers and teachers and everybody talking about their careers. And it was a bunch of nuns and priests and, you know, brothers and sisters talking about their, their vocation, their religious vocations. And we were surprised, but we stayed and listened. And when we left, I burst into tears and I said, I don't know if I want to be a nun. <laughs> and she said, oh, honey, you don't have to be a nun. I thought this was career night. And, but I, I chuckle when I look back on that, because I think I had such a strong reaction because there was something that I heard there that really moved something in me. There was something that really drew me there and I wasn't quite sure what to make of it at that young age. Kept going on. My grandmother had a cousin who was a Mary Knoll sister and we used to get the Mary Knoll magazines to her house when I was little and I would love to read about the, the missionaries that were working in all different parts of the world. I think I was very drawn to the idea that God was indeed present everywhere and that they had this experience of encountering God present in the lives of the people that they were meeting that just struck me as incredibly beautiful and hope, hope filled. And, and I was, I was drawn to that, but again, kind of thought, well, I'll, I'll find a way to incorporate that into my life. I don't quite yet know how, but that'll be part of it. So fast forward to college and I, I went to a Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts and had a very good 
college experience, studied abroad in Spain. And when I was kind of coming into the second half of my senior year, I didn't really know yet what I wanted to do. And I started to think, well, what do you love to do and what do you hope to learn? And I thought, well, I really like Spanish. I had, you know, kind of picked up the language as I studied abroad and studied in school. And I really love service. I had done Habitat for Humanity and different sorts of, of service in school. And I, I thought, well, what does that look like? Maybe could you do something with that? And at a Jesuit school, there was a, you know, information about the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. And so they had at that point JVI, which was Jesuit Volunteers International. And I ended up going for two years to Bolivia with JVI and going to a, a small town kind of in the mountains outside of the city of Cochabamba in central Bolivia and teaching at a Fe Alegria school, helping out at a, a boarding home for the kids who lived way out in the country and would come during the week and live there and then would go home on the weekends. And so just had this really diverse, beautiful experience of, of mission and worked very closely with both the Jesuits, but also a congregation of sisters called the Missionaries of Christ Jesus. And those sisters, they had a beautiful sense of mission. And I was, I was very drawn to them, <laughs> but again, didn't think it was because I wanted to be a sister, but, but knew that there was something in the way that they lived that I was seeking. There was a vibrancy to their faith. There was a vibrancy to their, their way of serving, their way of prayer that I just thought, I want to be that alive. I, I want that. And I talked to one of the sisters at one point and said, maybe, they, you know, what do you think? Should I consider this? And she just said, you will know. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what? I need more than that. You will know. So, but that was what she said. And I kind of took that and said, all right, well, I guess I'll chew on that for a while, you know, being schooled in Ignatian discernment, I'll figure out what that means. <laughs> and returned to the States after my two years, moved to Boston, was working, was dating, was going to graduate school, had a, a very well-rounded sort of young adult experience, had some great friends in the city. But this question kept popping up. It was like, I'd go on a retreat every year because I felt like I needed that nourishment. And every time I was kind of break up with somebody or every time I was had some quiet time, ah, there's that question again. Ah, there's that question again. And I was mm. realizing that it, it wasn't diminishing. It was actually getting more insistent. And so I, I realized at one point through the prompting of a, a good friend of mine who had actually himself discerned the priesthood, he said to me at one point, maybe if there's something you need to look at, you should do that soon. And I thought, oh, who are you <laughs> to tell me? But it really, it struck a chord because it was true. It was time to, time to look more closely, more deliberately at the question. Mm -hmm. So I did and started to talk to people in my parish about, you know, I think maybe I'm called a religious life and I don't know what to do with that. And a friend said, I know these sisters that I think you should reach out to. And I said, okay. At that point, I was wide open. I said, well, you know, who are they? Where are they? Thinking she'd tell me they're down on Boylston Street lot of congregations in Boston. And she said, they're in Georgia. And I said, Georgia, <laughs> Georgia, that's so far away. What, what do you mean, Georgia? They've got so many sisters here. She said, just call them. And I said, oh, okay, well, call them. And so I did. And that was sort of my, my first encounter with our sisters. When I went there, I ended up working with them for a couple of weeks. And I was struck by the way our ministry in Athens, Georgia is very embedded in the neighborhood. And so people knock at the door lots of hours of the day and night. And one of our sisters, Sister Margarita, 
was the superior there at the time and had been there for 18 years. And she was so able to receive people. She was so able to, to answer the door with a genuine greeting. And I thought, how can she do that with so much energy? And then I saw her go to the chapel and I saw her make her adoration. And that was an hour each day that she kept sacred. She, she was always present to that hour. And I, I started to kind of draw the connection that mm, there's, there's something linking these two, her availability, her ability to minister with such graciousness and this time of, of prayer before the Lord. And she later told me, I, I bring everybody that I minister to during the day to that space. I bring the world with me into adoration so that I can ask God to help me repair and also to be repaired so that I am then fueled mm. to step back out. And that, that kind of began my journey with, with our sisters, with the handmaids. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing, sister. What an incredible story. You know, the <laughs> Lord just kept on tugging at your heart. That's it. Very God is good and very persistent. <laughs> yeah. And it, it wasn't the point of you ignoring him, because that's what I did. I kind of ignored mm. the Lord in my little story. But it was the point that you... You heard the talk, but you kept on plugging away, doing different things. Yeah. And then you you finally felt the need to pursue it further. That's it. And, and that's how you really dived into the program, really got into the, the, the working with the handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And from there, you said, this is it. This is where mm -hmm. I feel the most peace, which, which, again, you talked about availability. But the other thing was peace. You felt great peace when you finally entered. Yeah. And I will say, you know, it, it was a journey. We have a, we have a 10 year formation process and I'm just about coming to the end of it. And I'm headed in January to Rome for what we call the tertianship, which is the, the final preparation for, for our perpetual vows. And in those 10 years, you do a lot of growing and a lot of learning and a lot of confronting different realities within yourself, within the world, within the church. And that's not always easy. It is graced that when do that and you keep coming back to the Lord, you keep coming back and saying, well, Lord, what about this? Lord, shed some light on that. Lord, help me with this. That relationship is the sustaining thread and the thing that bears itself out. You know, the Lord is faithful and the Lord is, is good. Yeah, I think if I had to express the, 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 the process in one word, it would be learning to trust. Oh, my goodness. I was just thinking that. And <laughs> yeah. If, if our listeners could see you now, they just see such a, a confidence, a trust that the Lord's got you in his hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this, this reminds me also of the Sunday readings for the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Yeah. And you talked about keep on coming back. In the parable that Jesus shares, the landowner keeps on coming back. If you could please share how the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the readings, magnify your call to mission. Mm. So I think what, what the reading and the parable sort of prompted in me as I, as I read it through was the real need and desire to ask for the grace to see and to love, like to see God, to, to notice God, to see God present in, in the person I've got in front of me, to see God present in my own heart and the, the best desires that are present there and to see God present in the world and to respond with love. Um, and that love will usually pull me out of myself towards the other, right? In generosity, in self-forgetfulness, in trust. And 
like I said in the vocation story, my experience of God has been how deeply faithful God is. And I think of this God, when we look to the incarnation, we look what Jesus does even after his own people reject him time and time again. And even when we can do that, right? When his church can do that, when, right, we, we are all capable of doing that and do do that. Well, God shows us to what length he's willing to go to, to show us his fidelity, to say, even now, even now, I'm not going away. Even now, I'm welcoming you. Even now, I want to show you how much I love you so that you can be free to also love in return. And so that, I guess the message of the parable, it, it really calls me to want to examine and ask for the grace to see and to love, uh, to respond to that love that God just keeps on offering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, we forget sometimes the landowner or how, like in the prodigal son, how the father reacted, mm-hmm. right? And it's just so, I mean, that God's not changing his love. He's not mm-hmm. changing his love. He keeps mm-hmm. on giving it. Mm-hmm. Um, from this reading. And and I also love how he says at the end, if I say to you, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and be given to the people that were produced its fruit. Well, what's his fruit? His fruit is to show his love. Mm-hmm. And by his example, we're mm-hmm. producing the fruit of love and the fruits of the Holy Spirit that mm-hmm. we're trying to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that in your ministry. You must have some wonderful stories of being a sister, how you got to see those fruits of the spirit. Sure. Can, uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there there are so many of them. I think one area where you see it in a very concentrated, very beautiful way is in spiritual accompaniment and spiritual direction. When you have this incredibly privileged encounter with someone who has decided to 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 seek that kind of conversation and to share from their depths, their journey with God, and their seeking of God. You look together at the reality of their life, and you look together at where God is showing up, how God is showing up, what God is doing there. And you sense that by saying, where is consolation coming, right? And consolation is that deep sense of God's abiding presence with us, that sense, I am being drawn deeper into faith, hope, and love. I am being drawn deeper into generosity and being drawn joyfully out of myself versus when am I kind of closing in on myself? When am I feel as though I'm being drawn away from faith, hope, and love, deeper into self-preoccupation and anxiety? So you look at those movements in the context of everyday life, and as you make a habit of noticing that, and the spiritual director is someone who notices with you, somebody outside of your own head and heart, who can look with you at the reality of your life and who has their own experience also of walking with God as disciple and noticing what is God's language with you then? And as you begin to tune your ear to that language of God's love with you in, in your life, the way that God tends to invite you into these areas where you grow in faith, hope, and love, well, those are those those invitations. And so it's a in a large sense, it's a, a matter of co-noticing and doing that in the framework of this immense love of God, a love that just doesn't quit, no matter where we are in our life's journey or what our experience has been thus far. This love of God that throws open the doors, throws open God's arms, like the return of the prodigal son and says, 
here I am and I'm I'm overjoyed that you're here. And and so it's in the context of this love that that is immense, that is sometimes even hard to grasp, but that gives us solid footing with which to to continue on this journey of discipleship. Yeah, and and sometimes I think what we forget too is in the responsorial psalm where he says, "I have chosen you from the world," says the Lord, to go and to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we forget that. Hey, he chose us. We just got to listen. We forget that. And that is the beauty of spiritual direction and spiritual accompaniment. It helps us to listen. It helps us to hear his call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. St. Ignatius says, you know, in the spiritual exercises, one of his pieces of advice to the, the person who's entering into the exercises is a step or two before you sit to pray. So literally, physically, a step or two before you go to wherever you're going to sit and pray, pause and imagine God gazing on you. And I think it's that reminder that, wow, yeah, I am known by God. I am beloved by God. I am chosen by God. I'm called by God into this encounter. I'm not just, when I sit to pray, I'm not just talking to myself. No, no, I'm, I'm with this God who knows and loves me. That's, that's when we, I think, begin to enter into, into the experience of prayer instead of the idea of prayer. Mm. Yeah. And we're hanging out with the creator of the heavens and the earth. Not too shabby. Yeah. <laughs> good company. Good yeah. Good yeah. company. Great yeah. company. Is there any story in particular that you wanted to share in your ministry that really touched your heart? Yeah, I do. Again, in, in Georgia, we work with a lot of families who live the immigrant experience. And some of them are, are recent immigrants. And so sometimes we have, again, this privilege of meeting people in very vulnerable moments, moments where maybe they have recently arrived and are trying to figure out how to do life anew in a very new place with very new expectations and realities. And we had a family that came to us last year at one point who had arrived recently from Guatemala. Their son had some pretty severe disabilities and they had made the border crossing, as many, many, many people do, in some pretty precarious conditions, had turned themselves in at the border and were awaiting their asylum court date. And this family was visibly exhausted. <laughs> they were really tired, but they had made it to the place that they were going to be staying for the time being. And they had come because they heard that we had an educational program for little kids and they were hoping to, to get some services for this little boy who, who had some severe learning challenges. One of our sisters there, Sister Winchie, sat down with the family. And I, I remember I, I was hanging back a little bit because it was clear that this was a quite an intimate conversation and I didn't want to overwhelm them with too many people. But she just listened to them for a long time. There was a lot of listening happening as they told their story, as they kind of explained the needs of, of their son. And then she was able to meet some immediate needs. They had arrived from a very warm country to a chilly place. It was, you know, it was late fall. She was able to give them a coat for the for the little boy and for the parents. We had just celebrated Halloween. And so we had little candy bags and we were able to give the kid, you know, something that made him excited and uh, along with a stuffed animal. So those little ways of just tending to the immediate need right in front of you. And then they were able to talk about, well, what kind of resources might this little guy need in order to start to, to take steps here? And when the family left after this extended conversation, they were smiling. They had come in just looking so exhausted, so beleaguered and, and, and sort of 
beaten down and they left smiling and the little boy was playing with a stuffed animal. And, and I think the parents were talking about, okay, next steps in terms of, right, this is, this is what he might need. For me, it was sort of like witnessing a little resurrection, a little transformation and somebody coming in low on hope <laughs> mm. and leaving because they had been met with kindness, but also with with hope rooted in the Lord. <laughs> I think that the, the, the place that we draw our hope from is from the encounter that we have with God. And then again, we can witness a little bit of that compassion and the Lord, love that doesn't quit, right? To those people that we meet. And we're all called to that. That's not something that just sisters or just missionaries or just people who are, you know, actively ministering in the church. No, no, that that's our call. That's our vocation as Christians is to be able to know that love of God and reflect it back, whether it's with an immigrant family that's coming in tired, whether it's with a little kid who's struggling in math, whether it's with somebody who's trying to figure out how to connect with God in prayer, whatever the situation is, whether it's with our own families or with our sisters and community, we're called to reflect that love that we've experienced back out and find the way that we're invited to do that in the concrete reality of today. Yeah. Keeping our eyes open to those in need. Yes. To to the Sunday readings, you know, the vineyard can be full of different people. You know, the harvest is plenty. Laborers are few. And we're called to be that light, the focus of Christ's love towards others. Yeah. I had the the joy of working with RCIA ministry in Georgia too, with folks at the the Catholic Center at UGA. And when you look at RCIA, now called OCIA, the four pillars of that process where somebody is exploring, discerning, stepping into the life of the church and, and growing in their relationship with God are prayer, service, community, and the word. That's what we all need to do to live deeply and fully into our vocation as Christians. So yeah. again, faith, service, community, and studying his word. Sister, one other quick question, and that is, do you have any recommendation for those who might be entering the mission field? Any words of wisdom that you have for them before I let you go? Sure. One thing that I was told right before I left for Bolivia, which was both challenging and helpful, was remember that you are not going to save anybody. You are not Christ. You are fellow pilgrim. (laughs) And you are sister to whoever you meet. And so as we enter, we need to enter with deep humility, especially when we're crossing cultures, which we're almost always crossing cultures, right? Even if if, if it's in our own country, but we're stepping into a new context. When we step into a new cultural context, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to understand. There's a lot to see. And, And so to step in with the humility of saying, I know I'm accompanied by God, I know you are too, (laughs) and I have a lot to learn. And as we step in like that, we're able to build connections to people that are not based in power over, but are based in seeking to walk with. And that sounds very simple and beautiful, but it's very actually complex to live because we always, there are always dynamics of power, particularly I would say for Americans, when we go outside of our own country, just by virtue of our passport, we, we have a lot of privilege and and power that others that we're encountering may not have. And so so to go with a deep sense of curiosity, a deep sense of humility, and with a willingness to ask questions. And then just what we said before of like, stay connected in prayer, because there's going to be a lot to, to bring to the Lord as you, you know, as you step forward and in a new context and are delighted and challenged and stretched in that process. That was my experience was 
the importance of prayer and, and the importance of humility as we go into that and of a sense of humor, because boy, <laughs> especially if you're crossing language barriers, there will be all sorts of foibles, but it, it can, if you can laugh at yourself, it really helps and can be, a, a, I think, a bridge builder with the people that you're meeting too. Oh, yeah, by all means. And I want to remind our listeners too, hey, uh, the Lord has a good sense of humor. Trust me, he he can. I he believe can, he does. <laughs> yeah, he can tease and poke at us in a yep. good way for our benefit. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Well, again, Sister Catherine, thank you so much. And on our show notes, we'll have ways and opportunities that you can get to know the handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus a little more. Wonderful. We'll also have pictures of Sister Catherine in action as she's <laughs> sharing the good news and helping others in her missionary work. Sister, thank you again for your time. It has been a real pleasure to meet you, and I'm really glad I stayed after Mass just to <laughs> hang out and I met you as sister was in the back of church as well. Thank you Thank again, you sister, then. for your time. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. Absolutely. And let us all go forth and spread the good news. Go Forth is a service of USCMA, funded in part by the Catholic Communications Campaign. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite listening platform. We'd love to earn five stars from you, so be sure to scroll down and leave a review. Visit uscatholicmission.org forward slash go forth for scripture commentaries, show notes, and go forth gathering details. Check out the show notes for pictures and links about our witnesses' mission. Our music is Go Out, Go Out by Curtis Stephan, used by license with OCP. Wherever you live and whatever you do, God has a mission just for you. Come back next week to meet another missionary disciple sharing God's love through their life and witness. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All your nations. Steadfast is his kindness toward us.